So last week, uh, like I mentioned, we were in the small building, and it was a really fun time of celebrating Christmas. Uh, these next two weeks, we're going to finish this series on what the Bible says about the church. We could use more weeks, but we are going to spend some time just looking at Christmas exclusively. Um, Romans 12.1, we've looked at this a few times, but I want to remind you. Paul says, therefore, which means in light of the last 11 chapters, therefore, in light of the gospel, I urge you all, that's a plural you, I urge you in view of God's mercy to present y'all's bodies, multiple bodies, as one holy living sacrifice. This is acceptable spiritual uh, service of worship to God. So what Paul is saying here is you all come together as one sacrifice, one uh, act of worship together. He's, he's describing corporate worship, many people, but one sacrifice of worship. So that happened this morning, uh, believe it or not, um, when a couple guys came and put together a mess of chords. <laughs> and I, we only think of the sound, guys, I just want to say, uh, when the words are wrong on the screen or when the things aren't going. But to be honest, uh, the whole remodel left a mess of uh, things. And those guys came without even me giving them notice uh, of how bad it was. And they came and fixed it all. So I just want to acknowledge them, but also use them as an example of coming together to serve and to, so that together we could come together more easily, having words on the screen and musicians who can hear each other in monitors um, in order to offer God uh, worship. And we could do worship without the monitors. And in my heart, I was like, man, we, man, we should just cut all the cords today. We don't need it. But these guys were like, no, we're going we're gonna to do our very best. And, and they did it. So all that to say... Um, the you in the New Testament here in this in this passage is one example. Anytime you see the word you, it's normally plural in the New Testament. And I've been saying that over and over in this series. But today we're going to look at a very important passage where the you is singular. And so this is uh, Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. And he was asking his followers, who do people say the Son of Man is? And, and J Jesus' favorite title for himself was the Son of Man. And his followers said, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say Jesus is Elijah who came back from the dead. Others like one of the prophets, like Jeremiah. But Jesus turned to them and said, who do you say that I am? Not other people. Who do you say that I am? And, and Peter, he was quick. Peter was always quick to like chime in or to do something. And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because you didn't find this out from humans. Flesh and blood didn't show this to you, but my father who is in heaven revealed this to you. Jesus continued, I also say to you, singular, that you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades won't overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples, don't tell anyone that he's the Christ. So there's a lot in this passage, but I just want to start with the entry point. What is the entry point 
to belonging to the church, to becoming one of the many bodies that come together to offer God corporate worship. Well, here's, here's the starting point, the entry point. Just like that door was the entry point for all of you to come into the building. This is it just the building? Right? The entry point to coming into the church, which is the people of God, is, is this. We're all walking our own way in our life. Just naturally, we all walk our own way. Right? And, and that is the way of sin. It's the way of selfishness. It's, it's my way. And I could even be doing as good as I think I can be doing, but it's never good enough for God because he's perfect. And, and raise your hand if you're perfect. Okay, good. No, nobody. That was close. But then she was like, oh, no, nobody else. Yeah, nobody's perfect. And so we all, this, this entry point starts with us realizing it and, and then saying, but, but there's good news that I can have life with God. Even though he's perfect and I'm not, he sent his son to, to die on the cross for my sins, my mistakes, and I, but, I, but I need to turn. Like, I can't keep walking this direction. Otherwise, I'm going to fall flat on my face. I have to turn around and start following Jesus. And, and the stage continues forever. Like, I'm not going to fall if I keep following Jesus. But the, pro- the problem is this. Our commitment to follow Jesus isn't just like a one-time thing. Sometimes people like pray a prayer and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. But Jesus expects us to actually follow him. Not just say, I'm going to turn around and then fake out. <laughs> no, I'm going to keep sliding this way. Living my, living my life my way. We actually have to follow Jesus. That's how we come into the church. That's the entry point. And we see it in this passage, right? Because Jesus said, Jesus said, who do you, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And when Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, he showed that he personally knew Jesus, that he, he, he actually stopped living life his own way and he was turning to follow Jesus. You don't have to be perfect when you follow Jesus. You just have to keep going. And we always kind of, we all kind of stutter and, kind of say, oh man, I wish, I kind of wanted to just do my thing, but Jesus is calling me forward. So, so that's the entry point of the church. We have to repent and believe. And so I just want to invite you, I want to give you guys an invitation today. If you've never made that decision for the first time to follow Jesus, uh, just tell him that. Say, I'm tired of living life my way and I want to turn and follow you. But don't just tell him, tell me, tell someone else that you know here, because we need, we need help to follow Jesus. So maybe you're here and you're like, well, Ben, I've done that. I've done that a long time ago. The good news for you is uh, Jesus has a lot more to say. The invitation doesn't just stop there. He actually builds on it, pun intended. Okay. Uh, Jesus builds on it by saying, I will build my church. That's the nature of the church. The church is not a building. The church is the people of God. And Jesus has promised his people, I'm going to build you. I'm going to build you into something that you could never be on your own. I'm going to build you into a person of character I'm going to build you from the inside out. So, you know, I I just was thinking about that phrase, I will build my church. And I was just like, oh man, we're in the middle of a building remodel. It's just, it's just wrought with misunderstandings. Like (laughs) how do you measure the effectiveness, the success of, of a church? And I just want to start by saying what it doesn't mean. Jesus does not mean when he says, I'll build my church that, uh, 
the church will have a youth group, a rock and worship band that sings the songs that you like best every week. It doesn't mean the church is going to have a state-of-the-art facility or a large staff. Ministries for every niche demographic that you can think of. There's a mission ministry, a youth group ministry, a men's basketball league ministry, a daycare ministry, a counseling ministry, a college students ministry. It doesn't mean any of that. I mean, maybe some of those things include what Jesus is building in his church, like as downstream effects. But when Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing will stop it, it doesn't mean numbers. It doesn't. Jesus had this weird relationship with the crowds. Have you ever thought about this when you read the Gospels? Jesus, I, I can't think of a single time. Find me after the service if you've, if you've seen it in the text. But I can't think of a single time when Jesus went out and said, hey, let's just get a large group of people together so that they can listen to me talk. He, he never sought out the crowds. The crowds, they followed him. They, they were running after him. Isn't that it? Yeah, I know. It's, it's so counterintuitive. But at the same time, Jesus cares about the crowds. When they come to him, it, it says that he had compassion on them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he sees them and he's like, man, I really care about them. I want to help them. And so all that to say, um, you know, it, when Jesus said, I will build my church, it doesn't mean we are bound to succeed in all that we do. Uh, in fact, in America right now, more churches are closing their doors than new churches are opening their doors. That's, I just, I don't mean to be Eeyore, but <laughs> that's, just the, that's just the world we live in right now. That's the culture that we live in. So, so here's what I think we can and should do about it is consider our own lives and ask these types of questions. If everyone contributed at the level that I do, what would the church look like? Now, don't misapply this. Not everyone can do what those two guys did this morning. I can't do that. But if everyone contributed at the level that I do, what would the church look like? If everyone prioritized faithfulness to a small group, how meaningful, like, like I did, you know, like showing up and contributing, how meaningful would that small group be for me and for the people around me? If everyone you know, like prayed for the lost and shared the gospel like I do, um, what would our witness on a whole look like? If everyone gave about the same percentage as I do, then uh, what would that church be able to do in terms of supporting missionaries and engaging uh, people, helping families grow? If everyone was as welcoming to new people, inviting them into our community as I am, would they actually want to stay? Would they feel loved? Um, if everyone hopped around from one church to another and they had the same level of commitment to a local church that I have, how healthy would any church be? Just questions to consider. Um, but here's the most important question, okay? If everyone pursued relationship with God as I do, not maybe the same way or the same amount of time, but if everyone's commitment level was the same as mine, how would our life with God be described? And, and you know, the, these are questions that it's easy to kind of feel guilty. My, my intent is not at all um, for anyone to feel guilty, but just to say, 
that the church, what Jesus promises to build is a church that's for discipleship to him. And a church that offers education, a church that offers ministries of all kinds to the world, but at the heart of everything the church is offering is discipleship to Jesus. That, that's what Jesus is about. He wants our whole lives to be about following him and everything else flows from that. So, so what does Jesus actually mean? Uh, I think he means if you want to be a part of what God is doing, you're going to be a part of the local church. And uh, again, uh, I, I've been saying this for three months. I hate saying this because I don't want you to think, Ben's just like a used car salesman. Pastor gets up, says about, you know, like how important the church is. I just really want to tell you what I see in God's word. And if Orchard isn't the church for you, I just pray that God shows you where he's calling you to plug in. That's okay. I mean, I'll be sad because I'd love to have you here. Bye, Jordan. <laughs> I love, I, oh man, it's been so good. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Jordan is one of my closest friends. Um, and he's just leaving the, the, he's not even leaving the building, so don't worry, he's not leaving the church. I couldn't help it. But I, man, I, I just want to say, uh, as I reflected though on what Jesus has built in our lives, in our relationships, what, what I've been able to see the last two and a half years, and again, don't take it the wrong way, this is not arrogance, this is just humbly grateful. We're, we're, being, we're, we're a part of something special that God is building. And I don't even think it's any more special than any other local church, but it's special to me because I see God at work in your lives and in our life together. Um, and I say that because I want you to know that reality for yourself in such a way that you can't help but invite others into that reality too. Um, all that being said, uh, uh, well, you can pray for me. We, we're kind of at this well, we're at a space where we have some opportunities in our church that we're not able to really meet. And so I, you can pray for me to discern what God is actually calling us to with these opportunities. Um, so, uh, and I want you to hear this. If I or anyone here asks you to serve or asks you to do something, you can tell me no. That doesn't mean you don't value the church. You know what I mean? That just means you know more information about your life than I do. <laughs> like what your capacity is and all that kind of stuff. So, so you can tell me no. And you actually have to say no to some things in order to say yes to others. So I apologize if this is a little bit scattered, but we're going back to the passage now. Um, what does it mean when Jesus said, I will build my church? Like I said, it's a promise to build us then look what he does. It's a promise to build us should we cooperate. Because what he says is, I will build my church. Nothing can stop it. By the way, here's the keys. <laughs> here's the keys. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of the heavens. And, and, and so what's up with the keys? Uh, Dallas Willard has been helpful for me in many ways. I, I, 
his thoughts on this helped me, so I'm just going to read what Willard wrote about the keys. Having keys is not a matter of controlling access to the kingdom. Keys don't first mean the right to control access, but keys mean the enjoyment of access. So he's, th- th- what does that mean? He's a philosopher. Well, here's an example. Imagine a man who carefully kept his doors locked and keys in hand, but he never went into his house. He had access. Yeah, exactly. Why would a man have keys, keep his doors locked, but never go in? Keys are meant for enjoyment of access. Probably because why? (laughs) But then why would you want to be outside the house rather than inside the house? You got to enjoy the access of the protection from the bad neighborhood. Yeah? Yeah. Man, I, I, I'd want to be inside the house. So, so analogous to the kingdom, Jesus is saying not keys to a house, but keys to the kingdom. The kingdom of God is what Jesus said to Peter, but I think it applies to all of us, and I'll get there. Um, you have the keys to the kingdom, meaning you have access to enjoy the kingdom of God, which makes a lot of sense because Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is available. So having access to the kingdom, living in the kingdom is what matters, not just being able to control going in or out, but enjoying being in it. So if that is available, power even to defeat the gates of hell, then why are we not thriving in it? The answer is that God's abundance isn't passively received or imposed on us. It doesn't happen to us by chance, but we must claim it and put it into action by our will, our intelligent pursuit of it. So again, let me interpret Willard. He's basically saying when your relationship with Jesus begins to change the way that you think and the way that you act, you know that you're living in the kingdom of God. So what do you do in order to be in this place where your relationship with Jesus begins to change the way that you think and act. Well, you, you do disciplines, like going to small group and sharing about your life openly and honestly. You do disciplines like studying God's word so that you can see and know God's face personally. You have to train in order to enjoy this access. And so what about all the binding and loosing? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. What in the world is all that? I could be wrong, but I think, it's, I think it relates to everything we do. If you think about everything, almost everything you do is binding and loosing. It's when we say yes to something. It's when we say no, that's not allowed, that's forbidden to something else. So when you discipline children, when, or when your parents discipline you, what they're doing is they're binding and loosing. Binding saying, no, that is off limits. Loosing saying, yes, that's a good thing. You're free to enjoy that. That's a safe freedom to go into. When you budget your money, like financial peace, you are binding it. You're telling your money where to go. When you give it away, when you enjoy money, when you spend money appropriately, you're loosing it. You're limiting and you're liberating. And so no matter what you do, if done with Jesus, it won't be futile or meaningless. 
It'll be part of enjoying God's kingdom right now. But you have to first be committed to learning how to live like Jesus lived. And when you do that, when you're faithfully living your life in community, you're being the church and you're experiencing the power of God to overcome any and all opposition. So here's our quick overview of what happened uh, in our passage. Peter professed Jesus as Lord. And if we profess Jesus as Lord and that God raised him from the, de- from the dead, that's not the end. That is just the very, very beginning. Because then Jesus promised his activity. I will build my church. His activity is in community. And we claim and we increasingly should experience the results of that promise. And then Jesus provides certain meaning to our activity with him that we can together learn how to live in his kingdom right now, binding and loosing. So profession, then Jesus' promise, and Jesus providing meaning to your work as an engineer, to your work as a stay-at-home mom, to your leisure. Jesus is promising it's connected to the kingdom. It all matters. So he is building his church. What is he building you into? Do you know how to join him? You're going to be a person whether or not Jesus is building you or not. You're going to be built into something or you're going to deteriorate into something. We're all moving a direction. So do you know what he's building you into? Do you know how to join him? You might say, Ben, that didn't really answer my question. Like your sermon didn't answer those questions. That's exactly right. (laughs) Do you want to learn how to do it? Are you willing to open up your life and seek that out? So let's talk to God now and ask that question. God, what are you building me into? And do I know how to join you? Lord, just like Peter, uh, each and every one of us um, are so hit and miss. (laughs) Uh, We're so up and down. But just like Peter, your love binds you to us. And it's your grace that offers the kingdom to us um, that it's available and it's, it's connected to all of our life. So help us to know how to use the keys to enjoy access to you, whether we're working or relating or resting. Help us to do it with you.